There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Welcome to the Osher Ginsberg podcast. I'm Osher Ginsberg. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, this show is a weekly conversation with someone that I find truly inspiring and hopefully is going to leave you truly inspired as well. My goal on this show is to talk with guests that have a great story to tell or who have achieved something remarkable in their lives and through their story, hopefully get inspired myself, get inspired myself and perhaps inspire you too. Thank you very much to everybody that tweeted out a link to the show during the week. OsherGinsberg.com is the new website. Thanks to everybody that uh, wrote a comment about the new site. I'm really stoked with it. Um, please, if you'd like to, that would be lovely if you could tweet out a link to the show. Um, also subscribe on iTunes and there is now a mailing list at OsherGinsberg.com. I will be sending out a, a, a weekly newsletter every week with stuff that I don't really talk about here and... Um, kind of a slightly more inside perspective on, on, on what's going on. Thank you very much to everybody that rated the show during the week as well. That is of enormous help. And those who commented as well, I thank you. I thank you very, very much. My guest today is Ruben Meerman, the surfing scientist. You can find him on Twitter at Surf and Scientist, S-U-R-F-N Scientist. He's an amazing guy. More about him in a sec. Uh, with me, I'm back in Los Angeles, back from Amsterdam. I was in Amsterdam for about two weeks, had a, a couple of days in London uh, in there for some meetings. But um, me and Amsterdam, we pretty much uh, as close as you can get as, as having an affair while you're on holiday is what I had with that city. Oh, my God. It was pretty much a romance between me and Amsterdam. Um, 
I'm so inspired by that place. Uh, I met the most amazing people there. I was really inspired what is, by what's going on there in the city, the attitude to life there, the quality of life. Um, most of all, the idea, and I've kind of only lived in really big cities in Brisbane and Sydney and Los Angeles. It's just enormous. And just the idea that bigger might not be better. That within a city that's kind of compact, in this case, Amsterdam, it's only 750,000 people, that it's a little like Adelaide um, in that a lot, if not all, but a lot of the elements of society are kind of accurately represented. And it's not so massive that um, you only stay within your small circle of influence, circle of influence, that you can actually, in day to day, just getting around, you can be exposed to almost all the elements of the society, um, not just isolated within the socioeconomic area of your suburb, as, as certainly happened to me when I was in Brisbane and certainly when I live in Sydney in the, in the eastern suburbs. I don't ever go anywhere near um, the western suburbs. They're an hour and a half away, and I don't see what life is like there. But in this city, um, if you start, if you're staying outside the ring road or on the edge of the ring road, which is where I was, and you can kind of ride your bicycle in and, and sort of ride past and through the different socioeconomic areas and see the different kinds and types and races and colours and um, I really enjoyed it, actually. I really enjoyed the idea that it made me feel much more at one with everybody. Uh, it wasn't so homogenized, and uh, I really liked it. I'm very happy to be back, happy to be back here in, in Venice Beach. Thank you very much to everyone's amazing feedback on the Rich Roll podcast. I was on Rich's podcast last week. It was really fun. Um, I've actually talked to Rich about allowing me to repost that episode here in a couple of weeks, which I, I think I will. I've never really told my story before. Um, we get pretty deep into it, particularly... Um, my uh, life before I was vegan and also some really interesting stuff about handling divorce and, and working through that with the meditation technique that I do when I'm running. So we talked about that on Rich's podcast. Uh, speaking of podcast, very quick plug, please check out another show that I do with Natalia Perez. It's a, an advice podcast called Let Me Tell You Something. Search for it. It's in iTunes. It's fun. It's a lot of fun. Uh, we just offer advice about relationships, work, and sometimes food. So yeah, thank you very much to everybody that tweeted through the week. I'm, I'm, I'm doing way better. Um, it's been a daily practice. I've been working real hard, um, but... <clears throat> things are good. It's nice to be back in Venice. I'm looking forward to getting some routine under my belt and um, just kind of running some tests as I, I, I put things in and take things out of my schedule just to see what uh, what's working. But um, yeah, it's nice to be, to be back and I'm looking forward to some routine. Um, Ruben Meerman is an amazing guy. I've, I've, I'm blessed to be able to, uh, to know him as a friend, but he is such a fascinating and super inspiring man. You've seen him on television. You've seen him in Australia on television. He's on Catalyst. He's the science guy. He goes on TV and vibes people off about science. He's on Catalyst. He's on Sleek Geeks. He's been on Studio 3. He was the first ever resident scientist on Play School. Yes. Um, the most powerful thing that he has at his disposal is his curiosity. It is absolutely infectious. I love being around it. And his job is traveling around the country of Australia, getting people, sometimes young people, sometimes teenage people, super excited about science. And I love science because science and scientific method for me provides me with a, a truth that I can believe in as much or as little as I want, but it, I know that it's been proven through a, a rigorous scientific method. It provides me as well, I won't lie, with an almost spiritual perception of the universe, which I marvel at every single day. The fact that the atoms that make up our very bodies and minds, everything that you and I and everything we see is made out of the same source material that came out of stars, sometimes millions of light years away. 
a simple and profound realization that indeed on a molecular level, we are all one. It's pretty amazing to think about. Um, I'll quote my dad again about science because I was misquoted about my dad before. My dad's got a great line about science in reference to homeopathic remedies. Um, he says, you know what they call homeopathic, sorry, you know what they call homeopathic remedies that work? They call it medicine. That's not to say that placebos haven't been effectively proven by the scientific process, very effectively in some cases, but that's, you know, their scientific process proved them to be true. So this verification, this peer-reviewed assertion of theories and practices, and also the willingness to use other theories and practices in the influence that, in the instance that what was working was found not to be the best way to do things. So it's just, I dig it, man. I dig it. Towards the end, like Ruben did turn up to my house with like a uh, like a propane tank or an LPG tank, the thing you, you you burn your barbecue with. You know, it's a big tank, it's about half the size of a beer keg, full of liquid nitrogen. He turned up to my house with a, a, a barrel of liquid nitrogen. And at the end, we get a bit carried away. He starts to freeze things in my house. Um, so uh, try and visualize what we're going through, but it's pretty bonkers what we get up to. He, he does an experiment in my house explaining where fat goes when we lose weight. It's pretty rad. So I will warn you right now, you're probably going to get a bit fired up by the infectious curiosity of this man. He has a great story to tell. He's an immigrant like me, and um, he's a lovely, lovely guy. I enjoy. This is oh, a couple of months ago now. We were in an apartment that I was living in in Bondi, so it's a bit echoey. But this is me and Ruben, some cups of tea and some liquid nitrogen. Enjoy. <laughs> At Surf and Scientist, S-U-R-F-N Scientist. Correct. At Surf and Scientist on Twitter, Ruben Meerman, welcome to the show. How are you? Mate, I'm really good. I was, uh, I'm really glad you could be here because you are one of my favorite people because you are just the m- most curious person I've ever known, yet that curiosity runs parallel with uh, I don't believe it. <laughs> so yeah. at one time you're asking, how does that happen? And then if someone tells you that's how it happens, you're like, well, I don't believe you, prove it. Yeah, right. Which has really taught me a lot about just believing things on the internet that, you know, if you drink this, that'll happen. Yeah, there's a lot of that on the internet, isn't there? There there really is. But you're an incredible guy. You, like me, are an immigrant. You weren't born in this country? Correct, yes. When did you come here? How old were you? Uh, I was nine years old, or I turned nine a few days after we landed in Australia, um, and from Holland. So I came here speaking Dutch. I wasn't wearing clogs. Uh, but, yeah, and then, I, I, you know, did the whole typical immigrant story. It's a great thing to do. You know, what a great country to come to. Truly. And now you make a living. Uh, people have seen you on Quantum. Not Quantum. I was called. I still call it Quantum, yeah, even fine. though it hasn't been on air for 15 years. Yeah, but the, what a great brand it was. Uh, uh, it Catalyst? The, the, yeah, the reincarnation of Quantum, which is now Catalyst. On yeah. the ABC in Australia, you're also on, you're also on Sleek Geeks. Correct. Yeah. Uh, what other TV and, have you done? Uh, I in the past there used to be a show on ABC One called Roller Coaster in the That's afternoons, right. and that that ran for years with Elliot Spencer as the host, and I popped on there uh, and became the regular science guy. Uh, and that finished when ABC Three got launched. Uh, so nowadays there's a program called Studio Three on ABC Three. So now I, I pop on with those guys from time to time, blow things up, have a ball. Uh, and Play School. I was the first resident scientist on Play School. Now, that is the moment that I'm most proud of. Oh, I'm gonna t- we're going to talk all about this. So basically, yeah. you make a living. Your job, which is why I'm so thrilled to have you here today, your job is to just get in front of kids and just fire them up about curiosity. 
and yes. l- like this is what you're let's let's go find out why this happens and you are the only person i know that does this you have hundreds of curious minds in front of you at a time and these are kids that may be hard to control or whatever whatever but by any however you do it you get them all to pay attention to you and then you blow stuff up in front of them yeah yeah <laughs> Well, it's it's not hard, I have to say. And look, I, I'm I'm the only one that you know that does it, but there are a lot of people that do what I do. Uh, so, and I started with the Shell Questacon Science Circus. So, I, I first of all got a physics degree, worked for a while in laser engineering, and then I went back to university. And the Australian National University has been running this course for, oh, geez, twenty. It might be up to twenty eight years now. Um, they run a graduate diploma in science communication, but a big part of your uh, your studies is going touring Australia, blowing stuff up for kids. It's great. It's like it's part of your assessment. It's the best thing ever. So that's called the Shell Questacon Science Circus, sponsored by Shell, uh, and run out of Questacon, the National Science Centre, but the academic side run by the ANU. That's how I got started doing all this stuff. And so there's, there's tons of other people that are out there. Universities now run a lot of this outreach stuff too. So... I'm not alone, but is there a, so? Is there there's a circuit? Is there like is like uh, is there like who's like Luke Jacobs and uh, Darren McMullen? Luke Jacobs is on uh, X Factor, and Darren McMullen's on The Voice. Like like uh, like me and James are on Idol. Like they're the other guys. Yeah. <laughs> you know? right. So who's the who's the other you? Yeah, that's a good point. Well, look, there's there's the CSIRO has people out there doing stuff, but we all get on really well. You know, we're all we're all doing the same kinds of demos and we're out there for the same kinds of reasons. And there is just such a big demand for this stuff that we don't really have that kind of concern yet. And um, look, there's the other guy that's on telly, which is Dr. Rob. He's on scope. Yeah, he's kind of, I like saying to kids, yeah, he's my mortal enemy. And, you know, little kids go, oh, really? But no, of course he's not. I love him. (laughs) Every man man is a nemesis. Yeah, he's my nemesis, Dr. Rob. Oh, no, he's great. So... What was it, what were your early demos like? What was like? Is it like when you're learning card tricks? You're doing the here, pick a card, any card. What are the first things you learn when you do this, and and why do you learn them? Why are these the first things that you learn? Uh, that's a good point. Um, so when you do the, the course down at Canberra, they've got a bunch of standard shows that you just learn the demos and you learn the explanations. And um, depending on your background, you know, there's the the people that do that course is fifteen a year. So if you're a microbiology background, then doing physics demos is a bit scary to them. Um, uh, so you've got to sort of just practice that stuff. I've ch- it's changed a lot how I do my shows these days. I used to sort of think you needed to have jokes. Uh, and it was, yeah, these days I'm all about telling the kids how I came to these things and what they mean to me. But I'm really lucky because my first job was making lasers. And kids love lasers. I mean, you know, you can use light to cut through steel. Uh, that is awesome. <laughs> it's right? awesome. Yeah, yeah. It's a ridiculously cool thing to be able to do. And one of the other things that we did at the company that I used to work for is make laser rangefinders for the army. And that looks like a pair of binoculars, but they shoot a little pulse of light, a couple of picoseconds. That's a zero decimal place, about 12 more zeros and a one. It's, it's an incredibly short pulse of light. And that then helps you tell how far away this enemy target, whatever it might be, is. And again, so Luke Skywalker's binoculars from the opening of Empire Strikes Back. Pretty much exactly that, yeah. Oh, my God. And, uh, you know, we were making those 20 years ago. Uh, they've become even better now, but they still make them. And 
So I've got all these great stories to be able to tell kids. This is my first job out of uni. Here's a photo of me in the lab with a 10,000-volt electron gun behind me in a vacuum chamber. And, you know, they, they just look at it and go, wow, it captures their imagination yeah, right. immediately. Yeah. So when you're doing the – like what's the first – as like just back to my question, like what's the first thing you learn? What's the first trick you learn? What's the first um, demo that you learn and why do you learn it? Uh, I don't think there is a, 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 an answer to that one. Like everyone does their own little – Thing first, I remember uh, we had to. Well, what was the first one that you nailed, and the kids just went, "Whoa!" Oh, well, uh, I've got some liquid nitrogen with me today. I'm, I'm pretty show absolutely. It to you. I should tell yeah. you that there is. Ruben has turned up. He's got the the gloves that go past his elbows. There's two sets of safety goggles, which bodes probably ill for me. Um, there's all kinds of Pyrex lab grade glassware on my coffee table, and a beer keg sized tub or drum, or cylinder, I should say, of liquid nitrogen on my living room floor, which I don't know if my bond covers that. Nah, <laughs> we'll be right, mate. Right. Don't Famous. panic. So, so <laughs> some, something's going to blow up later today, I think. So. Yeah, so in answer to your question, you know, like, to get into this course, you had to send in a, uh, an audition tape. Uh, and you'd be all about these in the various shows that you've done. So I had to do an audition and I got my family to sit down and I did a little music show, so the science of musical um, instruments. And that was weird because, you know, it's your family and, you know, it's not like a real audience. So the first time I had a real proper audience of, of kids and adults was at Questacon and I did stuff with liquid nitrogen. And, mate, all you've got to do, as I'm about to prove to you soon, is take the lid off that bottle That's, and fog comes off the lid and people go, whoa, wow, this is going to get better. And, uh, and then you blow stuff up. So, yeah. Uh, it, but on the other hand, um, sometimes I just go into a school with a potato and a straw and you hold those two things up and the kids just know because you're doing something science They know something cool is about to happen. Yeah. Right? So here I am with a potato costs you 25 cents, straw costs you nothing if you ask politely, and you can entertain kids for like 15 minutes with those two things. So it just depends on what you want to do. So the first trick you did, do you remember the school? Do you remember the, the first time you went out on the road? It was The first time we went out on the road was at a school in Canberra, um, and I can't remember if it was Ainsley Primary School or something. I don't actually remember the name of the school. It was a primary school, though. And it is a real massive buzz, as you know, talking to a crowd of kids. And science is the one thing that they all just can't get enough of. So, you know, kicking goals right from the start. Why is that? Why, why are kids – and I was a little bastard when I was in primary school. I, yeah. You couldn't get me to shut up. I now get paid for it. But at the time, I was really disruptive. I talked all the time. Why does science shut kids up? Um, we are naturally scientists, right? I'm positive about this, and I'm not the only person that says this sort of stuff. Uh, we look for cause and effect. That's what our brain's wired up to do. Um, and uh, we're just naturally inquisitive from the moment our brains are forming. We come out wanting to know why stuff happens. Um, and I guess... I mean, in the past, before we had science, that was applied in a very different way. But I think if you look back to hunter-gatherer societies, they were just doing science, I reckon, but without what we have now. We are just wired up for it. So kindergarten kids, when I do these demos for kindergarten kids, they are as glued to it as year 12 kids and their teachers. And I've done my show for the University of the Third Age. I don't know if you've heard of this. It's wonderful. It's for retired people. Um, 
universities often will put these talks on where these people can come in, listen to one of the academics talk about their field of expertise and have cups of tea and just socialise a little bit and keep the brain active. So that's the University of the Third Age. Mate, I will be a member when I'm in my third age. Uh, But speaking to them was awesome. These lovely old ladies became my groupies and then came to a school because I told them, you know, when I do this for little kids, and they went, you do this for little kids? And I went, yeah, yeah, And they went, we want to come. So they did. They came to Broadbeach State School. <laughs> In Queensland. Yeah. So you travel the country doing this. You go all over the country, well, all over Australia, switching young minds on to science. Why... Why do you do this? Why this? You're clearly very intelligent. You clearly could get a job somewhere in the private and anywhere in like private sector doing something else. Why do you like to do this? Uh, well, there's a huge demand for it um, because primary school teachers, for whatever reason, are terrified of doing sciencey stuff. So for the time being, there's a huge demand for people to go into primary schools and just get kids to see this stuff. It's not to get them excited because they already are. I mean, we don't have to switch them on to science. That's done. That's just natural. Um, So there's not much of this stuff goes on. Like not many teachers run a decent science program, not because they couldn't do it. They're all capable, but just for whatever reason, they're terrified of it, right? So that's one reason. Um, But I love it is probably the main reason. Like I really totally, absolutely love it. I need a break after three months of doing it, but it's fun. Because I've seen you after... Some days that you've just been spending transforming people's minds, young people, they're just not that big yet, but they're still people, transforming their minds. And you are just, you're just elated that you've opened their eyes to a, a new concept or a new way of thinking. Now, yeah, it's the best um, feeling that, and the best noise I can hear is 150, 200 kids go, whoa, like that is the most uh, just thrilling sound <laughs> and uh but you know when you get it out of a bunch of high school kids who are like year nine ten they come in with their hair sort of covering their eyes sort of expecting everything to be boring as batshit and in they come and gotta go to the stupid science thing yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> science i love playing up to it like some i've, I've my, one of my favorite moments was this kid comes up and goes is this going to be any good? And I went, mate, this is going to be the most boring hour of your entire life. And he looked at me like, oh, okay, he got me straight away. And he, uh, he just could not get enough of it. It is f- by far the most engaging stuff that you can show a grade nine kid. Liquid nitrogen, talk about how it can kill you. That gets them excited. Like this stuff can kill you? Yeah, it can kill you. How? Well, let me tell you the three different ways I know. <laughs> and <laughs> Tell that, me, what are the three different, like, this thing next to me, there's about two metres, even a metre and a half from me. Yeah. What are the three different ways this thing can kill me? So nitrogen becomes, uh, as a liquid, it turns into a gas and the gas from its liquid state at minus 196 degrees Celsius up to room temperature, that's a 220-something degree uh, increase in temperature. The first thing it does is turn into invisible gas. Then it expands. And so in a confined space, it will displace all of the oxygen, and then you'll just be breathing pure nitrogen, which on its own is fine. It's non-toxic. But without oxygen, you die. So so the first thing is asphyxiation. Not a good way to go. No. Um, they all relate to that kind of thing. Well, the second way is it can freeze you to death. So mm. if you poured enough of it onto you or if you dive, dove into a, a swimming pool full, you, you freeze pretty quickly. Pretty hard. Yeah. You could shatter me. Yeah, that would be bad. So that's the second way yeah. that it'll kill you and that'll kill you dead real good. Um, it can, 
it can make things explode. So if we put it into the wrong kind of vessel, anything with a screw-top lid, because it's trying to expand as it reaches room temperature, that, that vessel will end up under huge amounts of pressure and it'll explode. So that's not a screw-top lid? No, that lid, if we knock that bottle that it's sitting in over, that lid is not um, in any way holding the vapour that's coming out inside. So it's kind of loose. You can give it a rattle. Um, so that the, I'm not the gas... going near that. <laughs> no, it's totally safe. Like it, it, as it is, it's no more dangerous than boiling water. Is yeah. how I like to refer to it. So you know, you wouldn't turn a kettle full of boiling water upside down. Same with that bottle over there. But you're not terrified of a kettle full of boiling water, right? You know what to do. Just treat it like that. Okay then. But so when you tell kids this could kill you, yeah, they get pretty excited. They do. I mean, they they, they love these existential questions, right? That could end your existence. So that's an existential little problem, right there. Yeah, and right. they love that. They respond well to it. So, um, and what do the teachers think of you? I know you've, you've you told me some interesting things about when you walk in. These teachers have to battle these little bastards all year, <laughs> getting called names, getting teased, getting disrespected. Then you walk in with your liquid nitrogen and your safety goggles and you're blowing stuff up. What do the teachers? think of you uh i i do like to say to them look i know i'm cheating like i couldn't do this every lesson if i was a classroom teacher you know keeping up this kind of level of intensity that's that's just impossible so i know i'm cheating i've got a a bottle of liquid nitrogen and i'm that dude off tv and you know things are going to explode and of course they're going to have a great time um uh teachers are pretty pretty good about that sort of stuff you know they they invite they're happy like for the hour off. They stand outside smoke durries while that, you, that while you keep the troops entertained. That does happen, actually. Uh, I've, they, sometimes they sit there marking, um, which is, you know, they've got a lot of marking to do. We, uh, it's crazy how much we ask teachers to mark and yeah. assess kids. I mean, compared to Finland, where they do zero of that, uh, it's amazing. So, so we do occasionally have them sitting there drifting off, and um, teachers are fascinating because... Uh, you know, so, and in some primary schools, they'll be sitting on the, and, and high schools as well, they'll be sitting to the side having a chat about what I'm doing as well. Or, and then I sort of have to look over and go, hey, hey, stop shushing the kids, but then having your own conversation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, they're just people. Teachers are people. So who was the teacher, who was the Ruben Meerman for you when you were a kid? Who was the science teacher that made you go, oh? Oh, I didn't have one, unfortunately. Who was and, the and thing on TV? What did you see that made you go, wow? Uh, well, I didn't have that either, unfortunately. I, how um, did it come? Well, look, I got into – I did physics in year 11 and 12. Um, and as soon as I started, I think one of the things that really got me to do it at uni was the fact that when you do physics in year 11 and 12, people think you're smart, like smarter than you really are. Um, so people used to go, oh, you surf and stuff, and well, I didn't realise you had a brain as well. I think that's that kind of that feeling, that little bit of ego stroking. I reckon that went a long way with me because your your logo is great. It's uh, it's two. I think oh, I'm going to get it wrong. Electron orbits, two electron orbits. Uh, but they're on the same orbit. There's an empty orbit in there. Correct. Yeah, well spotted. But it looks better this way. Okay, cool, yeah. cool. Uh, around a nucleus, and one of the orbits is a is a surfboard shape. Um, you grew up. Where did you start surfing? Bundaberg, where there's hardly oh any surf. Oh, my God. You're yeah. from Bundaberg? Okay, yeah. so let me just explain to people who aren't from Australia what Bundaberg is. It's about oh, three hours north of the city that I grew up in, Brisbane. It's in yep. Queensland. It, it's an industry of sugar around yes. there. It's a sugar industry. It's, it's like there's got to be like an hour's drive in each direction before you get out of the, out of the cane fields. Correct. Easily. 
easily in every direction. This incredibly beautiful place, it's right on the very, very southern tip of the Great Barrier Reef, which keeps a lot of the swell out of there, but it's like the last place on the east coast of Australia you can surf. Um, Amazing animals up there, incredible wildlife, loggerhead turtles coming, laying eggs on the sand. Beautiful, beautiful place. Also pretty weird. It's pretty weird up there. I used to tour up there when I was in bands. It's very strange things happen in Bundaberg band houses. Let me promise you that, Ruben. I'm not surprised. (laughs) I'm going to promise you that for (laughs) nothing. And so you're this kid. You come from Holland. All you've done is grow up in in Holland and you come here and it's, you know, hot as balls. It's 38 degrees. It's jungle heat. Yeah. what was the day that you, you went surfing? Do you remember it? Well, we went to the beach pretty quickly when we got to Australia um, because it was as hot as Hades. Um, in fact, we came from the Dutch winter into a Australian drought yeah. uh, in Bundy. So it was, yeah, it was hardcore. Um, we got dropped off at the swimming pool uh, on day two and we all got burnt to a crisp. I remember that, not being able to sleep, uh, having... Um, uh, blisters all over my Queensland face. sunburn, that sunburn that oh. just your whole sheets of skin just peel off of your body and you're in agony. Yeah, that's And the when one. it weeps, when your skin, you got a second degree burn. Yeah. That it's, kind of burn. That oh, was it. Yeah. That's exactly what that. we got. We got roasted and, you know, we were as white as snow when we got off the plane. We just came from winter. Anyway, we eventually started going down to the beach, which is a, from Bundaberg to the local beach, Bagara. It's a good, you know, 10, 15 minute drive. You can't walk it. Um, and I remember quite well um, getting down there and jumping in the water because, I mean, the water was so toasty and warm and delicious. It was, you know, the Coral Sea, beautiful. But it doesn't get a lot of surf, as you said. It doesn't get great waves very often because it's blocked by Fraser Island and the Great Barrier Reef. So it's no excuse, though, because Kelly Slater comes from Florida and they get crap waves too. Yeah, well, if you grow up surfing terrible waves, mm. when you get on great waves, you're just so much better because you know what to do when it's one foot and onshore and wind chop. Yeah, well, that worked for Kelly, didn't it? I'm, I'm, I wouldn't compare myself <laughs> to him in a pink fit. But, um, yeah, we grew up surfing sort of floppy little funny waves. But, yeah, you know, it's good fun. Wow, man. You, so there was, there was no, like, sort of inspirational moment. Did you watch any of that TV, that science TV, do you remember, as a I, kid? I've spoken to uh, my high school physics teacher about this. It's fascinating. He, um, Peter Forbes is his name, and um, he's a lovely, lovely bloke. And uh, he, I think, wouldn't feel bad if I said this, uh, which, so, which is why I'm happy to say it. When he, they threw him in the deep end to teach physics, right? Uh, his background is biology, but he'd done some maths. And because of the maths, they said, well, you can teach physics then, which is he hadn't really done any at uni. So he was turning up to class and he hadn't really done a lot of uh, physics. Well, he'd done none. So he, he was turning up pretty much knowing as much as we did, but one chapter ahead. Wow. So I don't begrudge him for not having made physics as fascinating as it could have been. But on the other hand, we should maybe think very carefully about how we – send physics teachers into classrooms, right? And, and since then, he is so passionate about the same sort of stuff I do. He's been visiting um, uh, p- primary schools and doing these little shows and getting young kids excited and, and showing them the same sort of demos that I do. So he's right into the demos now, and I reckon he would teach physics brilliantly these days. So what does it do? I just want to get to the, you know, the knock-on effect. You might be 
having this show and you're the one, you're up on stage at the school hall, they're all sitting there in rows and rows, identical uniforms, and they're all looking at you, mouths agape while you blow something up and they're like, wow. But they might not be a science kind of kid mm. and they might be into art or, yeah. or sport and you might be the only exposure to any kind of science all year. But what's the effect that you think happens when they see someone like you and their, their brains get switched on to the question and answer that you pre- present to them? Yeah, I, I have no data on this and you know I'm a big fan you of You are, man. Uh, I just can't data. ask you questions like this unless there's a yeah, spreadsheet. Yeah. And I would love to, I'd love to track this sort of a question, but you know, it's a very hard thing to sort of measure down the track what impact did you have. Um, and I, it's like all of education, that how do you measure the impact of a single teacher? It's very hard to do. You know, what did you say to make that one kid switch on to whatever? Yeah. But I do know that, you know, they come up to me afterwards and I, I, I say to them at the beginning of my show, I'm not here to convert you all to scientists. Um, you know, we can't have everyone being a scientist, just like we can't have everyone being a plumber or an electrician, you know. We need everyone to do – and musicians, we need them too. So yeah. I'm not there to do that. I'm not trying to convert them to become scientists, but I am trying to show them the magical powers of science because it is as close to magic as we're going to get – the fact that we can make things like a surfboard. I show them a picture of me surfing and say, right, here I am surfing in Fiji and 150 years ago we couldn't surf those kinds of waves because we were surfing planks of wood that can't turn that fast and if you go surfing reef breaks like that, you just die. Whereas now, thanks to chemistry, we've got fibreglass, we've got foam, Mate, that stuff didn't exist. And, that, but, and now we can shape that into these amazing shapes and look what kids are doing on surfboards now. Well, you, you can't do that on a log made out of wood. So, you know, thank chemistry. I don't need you to go to a university and worship these people and give them money. Just, just appreciate the fact that you live in this wonderful time where we've got technology and yeah. science and medicine and all this great stuff. I was on the phone to a mate in Los Angeles today and I'm using an app called Viber which you can get for Android and iPhone. It's basically a VOIP. It's a free voice call just using data, your, your data plan. Amazing. And she's like, I can't quite hear you. Sound, you sound a bit far away. Have you got me on hands free or something? And I said, babe, I'm driving at 80 kilometers an hour on a highway in Australia talking to you 15,000 kilometers away on a highway in Malibu for free. Yeah. This is amazing as it is. I'm sorry if you can't hear me that well, but yeah. come on. It's, yeah. pretty, it's pretty dope. It's radical, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, what we can do these days, and I mean, the amount of people that it takes to make this stuff happen, it's just ridiculous how much, like, look at your phone. There's glass in it, so someone's been mining some silicon uh, dioxide, sand. There's metal, so there's been other people mining metals and all kinds of gold, you know. Then there's a plastic case on it, so someone mined some... Um, oil out of the ground and then the electrical engineering in there is just mind-blowing um bernie hobbs who works for the abc she just wrote about how the touchscreen part of these things works because i mean can you remember when the iphone came out and you could just you got this touchscreen in the palm of your hand i was like when the heck did they figure all this out to be Star this Trek. cheap amazing totally it's incredible yeah i i totally love it so yeah we we live in probably well, I keep telling kids this. We live in the best times in the history of time. But this is now is the good old days. Yeah, it really, it really, really is. And you always recommend to me great books. And there's a book you recommended to me called The Angels of Our Better Nature. Yeah, or The Better Angels of Our Sorry, Nature. The Better yeah. Angels of Our Nature. Yes. Uh, what's the author's name? Stephen Pinker. 
Incredible book. Yeah. In Incredible book. I'm only. A, it's it's heavy read. It's got to be about 800 pages. Yeah, easily. It, it makes an extraordinary claim, so it needs extraordinary evidence. And you know how much I love that stuff. Um, yeah, so, man. Mate, it it makes the claim that we live in the most peaceful times in the history of our species, and it's just such a an outrageous statement to make. Uh, but he sets out the evidence beautifully that you know if you take the the number of deaths on planet Earth. Uh, due to violence and divide it by the total population on Earth, then you get the rate of violence and it's that figure. That's what's been coming down since, like, it's mind-blowing that the 20th century with the Second World War, the First World War, Vietnam, all those terrible things, it was still less violent than the 19th century. It just blows my mind. And it's something that I've been sharing with kids ever since and teachers. I just love that book. It's incredible. And when, when you first turned me on to it, and initially, and he brings it up in the book, he's like, you won't believe me. This is why I'm just going to go on and on and on and yeah. on and on about it. Because everything that you're exposed to, every news story, every piece of newspaper you read, every online story you read, every Twitter, everything, everything is telling you doom and gloom. Yeah. Here's reasons why it's not. And... Yeah. It's it's remarkable. And this is what I really love about you because you really taught me to question so many things. And particularly when I see a claim about, oh, if you eat this kind of fat uh, combined with this kind of food, then this kind of thing will happen. I have yeah. to go and find like two other different people who will say that before yeah. I'm like, yeah, okay. Because yeah. you're such a stickler for that kind of thing. There's a lot of crackpots out there, man. And there's a lot of people trying to make money out of uh, people who are trying to lose weight and people who are trying to, you know, just, just be healthy. Um, and there's just all this nonsense out there. Um, I mean, some of it's – I mean, your grandmother could tell you everything you need to know, literally, about being healthy, don't you think? Um, just eat fresh food and, uh, you know, not too much fatty stuff and not too much of it. Like, it's the simplest thing. Absolutely. Which brings me on to what I, 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 I'm stoked you here, and you and I have been trying to do a podcast for quite a while now. And I'd, I'm really excited to have you on, and I'm looking forward to have you on again because you bring it to my- Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Mine, the most incredible concepts, and you have such a way of explaining them to people that I'm, I'm really, really excited about. You've recently done a TED Talk, yeah. uh, uh, which I was so excited about. I was tweeting about it daily up until when it happened. Uh, at QUT, the Queensland University of Technology, which I, it's a prestigious institution that I went to for a total of 12 days. Ah. I dropped out after six weeks of part-time university. What were you studying? A Bachelor of Business Communications. To be honest, ah. I was so insane at the time, I didn't even know what that meant. Ah. I just signed up because it said Bachelor of Business. And you were smarter than I me. was interested in radio and I thought communications was radio. It turns out I would have been in marketing or some yeah. kind of, and I had zero it's in, in, zero idea of what I was signing up for. Well, I just signed it up. All I can tell you, though, is B Block at QUT, uh, hottest girls in all the world. Correct. Right there. I, out of control. I applied to do that exact course, and I didn't get in because my score wasn't high enough. Um, so I almost was in your lectures. The TED Talk you did at QUT was about something that, when you told me this, it absolutely blew my mind. I don't think there is a single person listening to this right now that at some point hasn't looked at their body in the mirror and gone... 
Yeah, I could probably lose a bit of weight. Yes. So it's it's in everybody's mind. Yeah. Everyone listening has this. We I don't know if it's programmed through society or every image body image we see on on television or on the internet as if someone's skinnier than us. But certainly with me growing up, I was also very very fat, and I had a lot of body issues and a lot of shame about my body, and I kind of still do now. I'm nearly forty. Jesus, and I still <laughs> feel weird, I still feel weird about taking my shirt off at the beach. No word of a lie, and so. When you told me this, when you asked me this question and that you'd done the maths on how it all worked, I, I just had to get this out and share this mm-hmm. information because it's absolutely fascinating. So propose the question because I want to relive our, reaction, our, our interaction. Yeah, it is a crackingly good question, isn't it? Uh, the question is, when someone loses weight, where does it go? It's so amazing. It's yeah. so amazing. It's it, it amazes me that, that I get this reaction. I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't. And I have asked people all over the world now, like, and high school teachers, I did it down here at Bondi Beach, I get the exact same reaction, like, wow, that's such a great question. The best weight loss I ever did, I think I came from like, I think I came from 95 or 97 down to 73 in about three and a half months, four Jeez. months. I was 19. How'd you do that? I was just doing uh, hill sprints and eating right. Right. Okay. I worked my balls off. Yeah. I lost a shitload of weight. It yeah. was like 20-something kilos. Yeah, that's quick. In three months. Maybe maybe, maybe four or five. Okay. It was well, quick. It was really that, fast. Yeah, that's incredible. That's yeah, really yeah. good. Goes to show you can do it, right? I yeah, mean, yeah. I was 19, though. And yeah, but so you can do it at any age. You reckon? Uh, absolutely. Yeah, All right, but 100%. This totally blew my mind. So... What are some of the answers that people give you and, what, and give us some of the wrong answers? Okay. When, when, if, when you lose weight, say you lose a kilogram, yeah. when you lose that kilogram of fat that then makes your jeans fit way better yeah. or your shirt to button up nicely or yeah. to have no fat hanging over your bra strap or whatever, yeah. when you lose that kilogram, where does it go? What are some of the wrong answers? Uh, a lot of people say heat. It just becomes heat. Uh, and, you know, uh, when you burn fat, as so to speak, and they say the word burn, it's all happening, all this biology happens in a solution of water, right? So you, it, we're not burning the same way that, that when you set something on fire burn. So, uh, but they say burning fat, it must become heat. It just makes sense. So you do get some heat released if you burn fat, but that's not what it becomes. The question is, what is it now? Like if you lose a kilogram, it's not in your body anymore. What is it? Where, where'd it go? What does it become? Um, so then the next most, and by the way, that's not the right answer. No, that's not the right heat. answer. I know people tell you they poo it out. Yes, poo is the other one, and uh, sweat. Poo and sweat are the other two, and that's pretty much it. Then, then the other ones you get, people literally say it goes into the ether. The ether? No, not the, the ether. E- that's like some sort of spirit that old people put, you know, bits of animal parts in, isn't it? Well, yeah, I mean, it's what... what People thought space was uh, made of before we discovered that, you know, it was just a vacuum. and uh, uh-huh. yeah. So not the ether. That's the other one that's not right. Um, and some people just say it just doesn't exist anymore, which like, well, when I get that one, I sort of think, wow, you know, we've really failed these people with science education because you learn that you can't just create or destroy atoms in year 10 chemistry. So, so No matter what, the atom can never be destroyed and you can never create it. You just bond it to something else and it becomes something else. Yeah, well, I mean, in nuclear physics, you can, you can change what kind of atoms you have huh. by because their nucleus kind of... The, the nucleus of an atom tells you what element you have, what number of protons are in this nucleus. Okay, if it's six, great, you've got carbon. Um, if it's uh, seven, you've got nitrogen. 
Okay, fantastic. If it's one, you've got hydrogen, right? And two is helium. That's the periodic table. Uh, nuclear physics is all about changing what's in the nucleus, which means you then change the element from one substance to another. So if you don't happen to have a reactor handy, Correct. you can't really do this. That's so right. just day-to-day people who are trying to lose weight, they yeah. can't change the uh, atomic makeup of the cells we're talking about. That's right. They're, all they can do is change. So chemistry is when you combine two elements uh, in a new way, and then that's a chemical reaction. Uh-huh. Uh, their nucleus has stayed the same. Uh, but you've now done a chemical reaction and they're holding on to each other. It's the way they share their electrons that makes all this possible. And so this is how, this is how we lose weight. So right. while you have a sip of your tea, which I'm very proud of the beverages that I have for this podcast. Delicious. Today we have uh, lemon water, which I'm, I'm really excited about. I believe it looks like even Pyrex or plastic. Mm. And uh, a, lovely, a lovely pot of tea. Um, Great tea. Let me ask you this question. When I lose weight... Mm. When I lose that kilogram of mass that was once on my body, when I step yep. on the scale and it reads an entire big digit lower than it was, yep. where has that one kilogram of mass gone? Right. It started off in, when it was in your body, it was stored up in these little tiny cells all over the place. But essentially, in each one of those cells, you've got this substance called fat. And uh, each molecule of that stuff is made out of three things. Carbon, hydrogen, and oxygen. So that's CO two. That's carbon. Oh, so that's carbon. Yes. So that's C. Just the letter yes, C. Just the letter um, C. Okay. Yes. This is all. This is. I'm talking to you in the science that I learned in high school. Mm. This is pretty much all I've got. Yeah. Good. Okay. So that's the letter C. The chemical symbol C. Yep, I'm just right. trying to think the opening intro of Breaking Bad. Ah, um, yeah. That's H, B R and B A. Yeah, yeah. yeah. H, yep. which is hydrogen. Correct. And did you say oxygen? Yes. Which is Oh. oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay, and good. Look, everyone's heard of these um, three elements because if you know the chemical formula for water, everyone knows that. That's uh, H2O, which Correct. is one hydrogen. Uh, no, uh, two hydrogen yep. and one oxygen. Perfect. Look at me go. Yes. Yeah, yeah. What's Check the other the one? Big brain tell, me, and tell me the other one. The other one's carbon dioxide is the other substance that okay. everyone knows the formula to. So that's C, it's called dioxide because there's two so that's, yeah. that's CO2. I know that one. Yeah, yeah. We all okay. know that thanks to climate change and how big a deal that's become. Oh, so right. it's wonderful that we all know what CO2 is. CO2 and H2O. Yeah. Okay. okay. So, so with those two substances, you, know, you then know that both of those are made out of – they both share oxygen mm-hmm. as one of their ingredients, and one has carbon and one has hydrogen. So fat is made out of these three elements, carbon, hydrogen, oxygen – Every molecule of fat is slightly different in your body. They can have slightly more carbons and slightly more hydrogens. They all, however, only have six oxygens. So it's C something something, H something something, O6. Yeah, that's right. Um, So the way these fat molecules are stuck together uh, is that they're, they're composed of each one's composed of three things called fatty acids and they're stuck together and that gives you this fat cell that your body stores. Uh-huh. And the average one of them, um, that it can vary a little bit. The average has been figured out a long time ago by a guy called Jules Hirsch. He's an American fat expert. Um, Hershey, love Her- his work. Oh, mate. He, it's worth reading up on him. He is a very cool dude. Yeah. Um, so he discovered a long time ago that the average one, so there'll be some with more, some with less. The but average on fat average, cell. Average fat molecule. Sorry, sorry, average fat molecule. Yeah, stored inside your fat cells. The average molecule of fat in those little buggers is C55H104O6. 
and they're all bonded together in one of those rad kind of uh, molecule models that we see with lots of looks like little ping pong balls with yes. uh, drinking straws joining them together. Yeah, excellent. Yeah. That's what the model looks like. Now, obviously, those ping pong balls they we give them different colours. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a there's a um, convention for how we colour them: white, black, and red. Uh, in real life, they don't look like that at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just the same way a water molecule doesn't look like a big ball with two small balls stuck on it, like a like a Mickey Mouse hat. Mm-hmm. Um, Water looks like a clear substance when you've got a lot of it. We all know that, right? Mm-hmm. Same with this fat stuff. It doesn't, doesn't look like that in real life. But, um, but when you lose it, it has to exit your body somehow. And it exits as these two substances that we've already named, H2O and CO2. That, so the question that I had, which got you excited as much as it gets me excited still to this day, the question I had when I, I lost a little bit of weight earlier this year. A little? You lost heaps. You were 86 kg. I was 86 kg. And what are you now? And I should have been. My max was 81, so I was 5 Sorry. kilograms overweight then. That's, that, was, that blew my mind that I was 5 kgs over. Now I'm down to 69. Wow. So you've lost 17 kilograms since the start of 2013. We're recording this on the 10th of September. Yeah. That's amazing. Mm. Well, I don't need a medal for it. You know, lots of people have done it. Say, for example, you lost 10 kilograms. Yep. You lost 10 kilograms. Where did that 10 kilos of fat go? Right. So it became carbon dioxide and water. And out of the 10, 8.4 kilograms nearly all of it, in other words, you exhale as invisible carbon dioxide gas. 8.4 kilos out of 10 blows my mind to this day. You You, breathe it out. You breathe it out. It goes out via... Your lung is an excretory organ for carbon. That's where it goes, baby. Yeah. That is amazing. You've got to look at your lungs in a whole new way when you think about this, don't you? Like... 8.4 8.4 kilograms of, of losing, someone loses 10 kilos, 8.4 of those kilos they have breathed out. They've, yeah. Like 8.4 of those kilos as carbon dioxide atoms have been breathed out of them. Yeah. So and, you, and so that leaves, what, 1.6 yes. as H2O. That's right. Which is sweat, tears, pee, snot. Yep. Yeah, that's right. Um, I mean, uh, uh, number two is uh, 75% water. Uh, and what's left, the, the 25% that... You're talking you know, poo. Yes. Poo's 75% water, yeah. 75% water. And the bit that we don't like to talk about, the, the, the uh, solid part, mm, half of that roughly is The brown fiber. part. Yeah, the brown part. Or the undigested seeds in my poo, for example. Well, that's... that's yeah, there'll be a few of those we'll nip yeah. through. Uh, um, half of that stuff, though, that you see there, that half of it is bacteria. The stuff we're pooping out. Yeah, half the, of the The mats, brown stuff. Yeah, Roughly half of the solid part. So is, when you do primary schools, how if you're losing a crowd, we'll get back to this fat loss in a second. Yeah. If you're losing a crowd, do you just go straight to the poo talk? Do they just uh, love it? No, I don't. I'd very rarely talk about poo in front okay. of uh, because they lose it. I mean, oh, they just go into they, giggles and it's yeah, over. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. And uh, you know, I like to do. Uh, yeah, I, I have a pretty good structured show, so I, I, I keep things. I, I basically don't lose them. Okay. Um, no, no, so, fair yeah. enough. Okay, so <laughs> when you figured this out. When you figured out this, uh, where does this go? I know you're a man who would like to have proved it. Yes. So what, how do you do the maths? How, do you, how did you figure out this number? How did you come to this number? Um, so the, I, I rang around a bit and one of the biochemists that I spoke to gave me that, that average triglyceride, which I just told you, that C55H10406 figure. That was the first thing that I kind of had to find out about because I'm not a biochemist, I'm a physicist. Uh, but turns out we've known that for a long time. Mm-hmm. So um, 
So that was the first thing to find out. But then there was this real clencher to this whole bit of maths, which is if you've got um, if you've got this stuff called your average triglyceride, your average fat molecule with these six oxygen atoms in it, which they always have six oxygens, what are those oxygens going to become? That was what stumped me for a long time because oxygen can depart your body as uh, carbon dioxide Mm -hmm. or it can depart as water. So which of the two was my question. Which of the two will it leave as? Because out of that total molecule, I really wanted to nail down precisely where the mass goes. Turns out that the answer had been discovered ages ago. Uh, in the 1940s, some people did get this experiment. Uh, they fed mice water, which they had labelled the oxygen atoms, uh, labelling not like by sticking a post-it note to yeah. them, but by making them a heavier isotope of water. So mm-hmm. uh, it's called oxygen 18. You jam an extra two neutrons into... Huh. The, uh, the nucleus, which, you know, that just happens naturally, by the way. Like these isotopes exist in nature. Mm-hmm. It's very normal. There's nothing all that particularly weird about this. Um, yeah. But if you label up these oxygen atoms, uh, you make this stuff called heavy water. And so they Perfect that... for atomic weapons, I'm sure. Yeah, yes, it is. It can, well, it can be handy. Um, and so they chucked that down the mice's guts and then looked for it in the exhaled breath. Of the mice. Yeah. Of the mice. Which, and the only way it can get into the exhaled breath is if the water molecule, H2O, is swapping its oxygen atoms with carbon dioxide molecules. So they do that. They do that a lot. They swap uh, atoms. And, I mean, down at the, the microscopic level or the atomic level or yeah. the molecular level, I mean, yeah. the amount of bumping and um, grinding that's going on down there, there's like billions of collisions per yeah. second between these molecules. So it actually makes sense. Anyway, turns out that um, when those six uh, atoms of oxygen in your average fat molecule, when they leave, they will leave in the same ratio that oxygen exists in carbon dioxide and water. So in other words, in a two to one, from CO2 and H2O, you get this two to one ratio. So out of this fat molecule, I could then figure out, okay, what percentage of the weight of that molecule, if you go to the periodic table, you can get all the weights of all the atoms. It's really basic stuff, grade 10 chemistry. Um, So then you can just do the maths, how much of the weight of that molecule goes out as carbon dioxide, how much comes out as water, and bang, there's your answer. Amazing. When I'm running, or when I'm when people are running or when they're exercising, say someone's like, oh, I'm five kilos overweight, I wish I could over I wish I could lose weight. Yep. I asked you the question, so then when I'm exercising, when I breathe out, how much weight do I lose every breath? Because yep. when I run, I run at 180, I, I run with a metronome, I run yep. at a cadence of 180, so I breathe on every right foot. Okay. So it means I breathe 90 times a minute. Yep. So I wanted to know yeah. how much weight am I breathing out? How yep. many, how many, what are the kilograms of carbon atoms I'm breathing out when yep. I'm running? Well, on average, we know this figure. Uh, and there's a bunch of people have done this. So this, this is not new, this little calculation. Um, on average, about five milligrams of carbon coming out of you per breath. Roughly. And now there's variation between us, right? Our lungs are different sizes. But on average, yeah. we breathe about 500 millilitres is, is one breath worth. Um, so if you've got, you know, half a litre coming out, uh, at resting rate, 
you do about 12 breaths a minute is roughly the average. I mean, it, th- these are averages and they vary between people. But yeah. um, So if you up your breathing rate, then, you know, you're going to get rid of more each time. You're getting rid of about the same amount. It doesn't change how much per breath. But uh-huh. if you breathe more, five milligrams uh, per breath, out it comes. So uh, what did you say you breathe per... I breathe 90 breaths a minute when I'm running. Yep. I breathe 90 breaths a minute because I time my breaths. 90? Uh, have you read the book, um, uh, Why We Run? Oh, no, not yet. Oh, look, it's a really good. fascinating book. It, it, can, it, it talks about, um, it talks about uh, uh, oh, what's the word, uh, hunting, something hunting, persistence hunting. Right. That we are animals as human beings. We are remarkable in that our diaphragm muscles are not attached to our lower legs. Oh, tendons. right, yes, right. And that, like when an antelope runs, its breathing cycle is tied into its stride. Yes. So if it starts and it, it's over, it can't pant to cool down. Right. All right? So when it's running, it breathes in and out with its running speed, but we can breathe independently of our, of our stride. Right. And so that's how the early marathon, like the, if you look at the early cave paintings, the book talks about the early cave paintings, when they're hunting, they have no spears. Well, it's tackling them. No, like they just players. run the animal. Right, until it until can't run it anymore. can't run anymore. Right. It's called persistence hunting, and they yeah, would run right. for two hours at a time, right. and the antelope would just Give die. up. The yeah. antelope would just die because oh it, it would run a couple of hundred meters, then stop, and then these guys are running, and they go, oh, shit, they're still after me. And so it would run, and then towards the end, it, it just simply overheats and dies yeah, right. because it can't cool down. It's a fascinating read. Yeah. Fasc- fascinating read. Uh, so yeah. five milligrams every breath, 90 breaths a minute. Yep. So in a minute, 450 milligrams. 450 milligrams. Yep. So let's say you go for an hour. So let's multiply then that by 60. Punch it into my little calculator. Yeah. Um, so 27 grams. 27 grams. In your hour. Of weight that I lose just yeah. by breathing. Yeah. Now, that, hang on, of, of carbon, right? Of carbon. So right. depending on what you're burning, because it, um, it's taking some oxygen out with it too. Yeah. Um, so we've got to count for all of that. And depending on what you've eaten, you might be burning some of the stuff that you've already eaten that day. In a day, you lose about 200 grams of carbon mm-hmm. if you're staying weight stable. But that's just the carbon. So it gets really confusing because yeah. don't forget you're drinking water and yeah. water comes out of sweat. And when you're running, you lose a lot of water of sweat. Well, I, so, just, I just wanted some motivation for when I'm running. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, the, and it is great motivation to think, right, carbon really is the one that is you've got to get rid of that to get rid of this excess weight. The water that comes and goes, you lose a lot of water and you drink a lot of water. So you weigh on a daily basis. It's, you don't want to start weighing yourself on a daily basis and getting super excited if you've lost two kilograms in one day because most of that will be water. Mm-hmm. And you don't want to get super depressed if you put on two kilograms in a day because, again, most of that's going to be water. It's not going to be fat that's coming and going. You can The most you can lose a day... Roughly, the, the um, theoretical maximum amount of weight you can lose a day is about 250 grams. But when you stand on the bathroom scales, you'll see bigger changes and, and the rest of the change above and beyond um, that theoretical maximum or what you actually lost that day, it's all water. Mm-hmm. So you've got to be really careful not to right. get too obsessed because you'll hurt yourself in terms of your, you'll hurt your self-esteem. Yeah. But, um, yeah, if you're running, you are definitely pumping out carbon atoms that were, some of them were stored in those adipocytes and they're coming out, mate. That was chocolate cake. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm was, breathing out chocolate yeah, cake. Yeah, there it, it comes. Come going the same hole it came in. Uh, essentially, exactly. Unless yeah, that's I'm right. snorting chocolate cake. <laughs> so you've got 
I, I, I asked you here today to. Okay, I want to kind of tell people about you because you really, you really fascinate me. You're a fascinating man, and your oh. curiosity really excites me. And I get excited by how curious you are, and it's changed me and changed my curiosity uh-huh. to have you in my life. I'm really grateful for it. That's awesome. And then I get to ask you questions like, "How much fat do I breathe out when I'm running?" When I ask you that question and then say, hey, could you come and do the podcast? You say, great. And then you turn up at my house and you've got industrial strength gloves, two sets of safety goggles, some <laughs> liquid, liquid hydrogen. Nitrogen. Liquid yeah. nitrogen. Yeah, baby. Uh, why did you bring these things in today? Right. I'm going to show you this carbon that you're breathing out. So you're showing me the... Things that chocolate. I had a party here the other night when the Bachelor premiered. I uh, ate amazing chocolate cake. Yep, that vegan, raw, gluten-free chocolate cake that yep, blew that my was, head right off. Yeah, it was delicious. But it must have had a hell of a lot of carbon. In it. I'd say it probably did. Yeah, it probably did have quite a bit of carbon in there uh, because chocolate cake, you know, up around three thousand kilojoules per hundred grams for wow. for um, or for per serve for some of these. Sorry, yeah, uh, yeah. per serve. Yeah. So yeah, they're definitely. So was. you're going to show me how I'm losing that back out of my body. Yeah, most of that. If you are weight stable, uh, if you're not putting it on, you're not losing it. Then most of it, uh, or even if you are losing it, sorry, uh, that then. It will be coming out through your lungs, the carbon part of that, the the Because lungs are an excretory organ. Correct. Let's not forget that. I'm not breathing out, I'm excreting. Exactly. So I'm going to get you to breathe into a balloon, right? So here's a clear balloon. Looks like a condom. You just want me to fill it up? Yeah, man. I just want you to just just blow it up as normal. It's a clear balloon, so just breathe away, mate. We'll count how many breaths you chuck in there, just out of interest. That's one. Right. Good work. Ah, okay. So I'll tell you something interesting. These are big breaths. When you're running, you're, you're not breathing out as big a volume. So go again. Breathe. Oh, no. That, uh, you want to do running breaths? Nah, it's okay. I'll because, do running breaths. Yeah, you can. But look, there's a problem with all of this, and that is it's putting pressure back into you. So you actually have to breathe differently to when you're running. So it's, it's not a good way to compare. So how running. many breaths do you want? Just normal just, breaths? Just, just regular. Yeah, I'll just do just regular breaths yeah, rather than big yeah, breaths. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, just keep going. Yeah, good. Blow it up. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to confuse you there. Um, yeah, that's good. You'll notice it's, it doesn't feel like normal breathing though, right? Because you've got a, a, a balloon attached to your face. Um, <laughs> so that's fine. This is looking good. Okay, that'll do you. Um, so tie her up. No, that's fine. It doesn't, okay. It, yeah. Eight. Okay. That's eight breaths. Oh, very good. Okay. Um, so we're tying it up. So in that balloon, you've got still some oxygen, funny enough. Um, there's still about the, the air that it you really exhale. does look like a blown up condom. It does a little, yeah. It's very interesting. All right, so this is eight. Shot. This is eight of my breaths. Yeah. Okay. Um, so chuck that into this bowl here. All right. All right. And then how do you uh, want it like that? Yeah, like that. That's great. Wow, that's really weird. Okay. Now this is all very interesting, bro. Oh, it's going to get more interesting because now I'm just getting some liquid nitrogen. I will put gloves on so I look really safe. Uh, and I'll even put on goggles, you know right? Why, why, um, why have you got goggles? Uh, well, just in case there's a little bit of splashing into my eyeballs of liquid nitrogen. It's very rare, but, you know, safety first. Nobody, nobody wants that. I'm looking down. Look at my God, that's so scary. I'm looking down at a whole big vat of liquid nitrogen. Ah. <laughs> that is so cool. Look at that. Right. So there you've got – it looks like boiling water, doesn't it? But it's um, – but the cloud that comes from it goes down as opposed to up. Yeah. That's the only actual visual 
clue that that is not boiling water, but in fact boiling nitrogen. The only difference between the look of this stuff and the look of boiling water is where that cloud's going. Other than that, it looks precisely the same. Amazing. So anyway. this liquid is boiling by, it's turning from liquid into gas, like water turns to steam, yep. but it's boiling because it boils at a very low temperature. Yeah, it boil, it's, it's minus 196 is the boiling point for this stuff. So now it, it, the, the, the noise is all settled down a bit. You'll see that it's not making as much noise because yeah. that glass started off at room temperature, ah. but the glass that's in contact with the nitrogen is now down at minus 196 as well. So don't so, touch that glass, Ginsburg. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'll top it up a bit more. So do I have to worry about my glass coffee table? Nah. I'm All right, then. professional. Okay, then. So he's pouring more in now. This is incredible. So, yeah, I just needed a little bit more because what we're going to do now is pour that liquid nitrogen over the balloon. Yeah. And so now the contents of the balloon are going to get to the same temperature as liquid nitrogen. Yeah. The contents of the balloon have been in your lungs and they've yes. come back out, right? Yes. So when you inhaled it, it was 21% oxygen went in because that's fresh air. But when you exhale it, it's 16% oxygen and 5% roughly is carbon dioxide and that carbon dioxide came from your mitochondria where you have been burning the sugars and the fats uh, that you have been consuming and if you're really hungry right now then there's probably quite a bit of um, carbon dioxide in there that was fat in your body depending Amazing. on how hungry you are so watch this we'll pour the stuff on do i have to move my iphone out of the way over there uh, it's just behind it yeah, no, it's fine. <laughs> famous last words i promise so basically you're freezing the gas inside there, right? Yeah. So some of it, um, so there's, there's three major gases in here right now. There's the oxygen that your body didn't use. About 16% of this stuff is that. The carbon dioxide you exhaled, that makes up about 5% of what's in this balloon. And the rest is nitrogen. And I've got the liquid form of that here. So the nitrogen's not going to change state during this demo. But the oxygen in the balloon's going to be turning into its liquid form right now and we'll see that in a minute i'll take it out and the liquid form of oxygen it boils at minus 183 so it'll be in there it'll be a liquid when we take it out it will all boil away and once it's all boiled away that's when things get interesting right once all the liquid is not in this balloon you will see a white powder and that white powder is the carbon dioxide. It's carbon plus two oxygen molecules. It's a white powder. And, mate, that is your food or your fat. Um, and you'll see it for just a little while, and then it'll vanish back into thin air. So we're good to go. We'll, we might walk over. To, oh, no, we won't walk anywhere, actually. We'll, what I'll do is turn on. You need some light? I've got some light. I've no, got light here. No, I've got light right here. I've got light right here. Right. Here, right, here, right. right. I'm going to take this balloon, which is at minus 196 degrees Celsius. I'm going to take it out of that bowl, away from the liquid nitrogen. In the balloon, you'll see liquid oxygen. It'll boil away. It'll turn back into gas. Once it has all done that... So it's going to start reinflating a little? Yes, very much so. Um, the nitrogen that's in there will, will start expanding really quickly. It boils at minus 183. Once it's all gone, there'll be a white powdery substance in there, and that is carbon dioxide and it came from your mitochondria and it is the food that you ate which has now been oxidized the carbon you ate as sugars or maybe you got it from the fat that you've stored and now it's been oxidized it's got oxygen atoms stuck to it 
and it's carbon dioxide. So here we go. So that is the oxygen. The top of it's mainly nitrogen. Uh-huh. And I'm just going to get it to expand a bit right now. Two hands, it's kind of interesting. Can you see that liquid down there? Yeah, yeah. But that is the liquefied oxygen, and it's boiling, and if I blow on it, it'll boil a little bit quicker. Nearly all gone? Yeah. Right, now the powdery stuff that's stuck to the inside of that balloon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, right, that's your carbon dioxide. Oh my God. And that has come from your bloody mitochondria. <laughs> Keep watching it, it'll vanish. Because it disappears at minus 78, it turns back into gas. It's sublimes, and now there's just a little tiny bit of stuff there. There's that, no yeah, that what I'm looking at right there. Yeah, that now that last little tiny tiny bit is the watery part of your breath, which is now melting as well. But the majority of that white powder that was carbon dioxide had fog coming off it. That was your lunch, mate. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, and the balloon looks a little different because it's um it's got condensation on the outside, but that's just water on the outside, right? Yeah. But everything's back to normal. And it contains about five milligrams of the carbon that's now not in your body. It's fine, it'll just sit there and boil. I'm, su I'm such, so Ruben still has, he's just putting the liquid nitrogen away, but I'm such a kid. I'm like, can we, can we free something? I was about to ask him, can we free something and shatter it? Can we, can we, can we? Can we? Ruben, so that was, that was incredible. It, this is why, look. I've never seen it. I'd just like to have that visual yeah. of like, that is just so, so incredible. So this is why people struggle to understand what's going on when you lose weight. It's turning into an invisible gas and it comes out through your mouth and we just don't think about that. Like, right. uh, so to turn it into a visible thing in a balloon, mate, I have been doing this demonstration since 1995. I started pouring liquid nitrogen on balloons and it only occurred to me literally last year uh, after I'd been doing with clear balloons, I'd been doing it for ages, uh, talking about climate change and saying, right, yeah. there's carbon dioxide. Well, last year it occurred to me that, hang on, this is a fantastic way to show human beings what happens to, if you lose weight, where does it go? But it's not just when you're losing weight. Mate, when your weight's stable, all of the carbon you eat, you have to be breathing that much out again or else you're putting on weight. So... You know, if your weight's stable or if you're losing weight, you're definitely breathing out more uh, when you're losing weight. But that's where it goes. It comes out through your lungs. They're an excretory organ. So look at the kilojoules on the back of the pack when you're buying food. Yep. Try and keep it around, try and keep it under 9,000 a day. Keep your total around that much, yeah. Unless you're doing, you know, unless you're doing a lot of uh, physical activity, uh, look this stuff up. There's calculators yeah, online. Yeah, yeah, You know, there's just and, so much info. And just, like, eat... Just eat well, exercise, and what do you know? Yeah. You, you lose weight. You lose weight. By breathing it out. That, it it's comes that out. Easy. Yeah. It's that easy. It's that easy. out of your lungs, invisible. Just by walking. Just by walking. Yep. You, you can lose weight just by breathing. But the, when I lost weight, um, the first thing that I did was just went walking every day for about an hour and a half to two hours. Now, people say to me, oh, I don't have that kind of time. I say, oh, yeah, what do you do at night time? Are you like, how much TV do you watch? Because everyone has an hour and a half they can walk. That's all I did. For three months, yeah. I walked an hour and a half or so a day on top of, you know, the occasional surf here and there, obviously. But, mate, it just flew off. 
It just flies off you. Really um, did. But have to eat less as well, right? So eat less, move more. Um, there's, there's a million ways to skin this cat. It's, pretty, it's, it's really not that complicated, is it? It's stuff that we've been told since forever. Like, you know, I'm, I'm not telling anyone anything new. I take no credit for any of this science. Yeah. You know, I didn't discover it at all. <laughs> you are amazing, Ruben Meerman. Thank you so much for taking the time to be here on the show today. Um, this is brilliant. You're the greatest. I can't wait to have you back when we talk about... What do you want to talk about next time? Oh, let's blow more things up. <laughs> You're the best. <laughs> at Surf and Scientist on Twitter, at S-U-R-F-N Scientist on Twitter. Um, if he changes his Twitter handle between now and then, I'll be sure to tell you all. Um, You're a star. Thanks, brother. Thanks, mate. That's Ruben Meerman. What a guy. You can find him on Twitter, at Surf and Scientist, S-U-R-F-N Scientist. That's where he is. Go find him. Go follow him. Let him know you heard him here on the show. If you liked anything you heard on this show, please do me the kindness. Tweet out a link to the website, osherginsberg.com. That would be wonderful. Uh, Next time we talk, you and I, I'll be 40. Yeah. It's my birthday on the 29th of March. I'm having a dinner. Been doing a lot of reflection about turning 40. I don't think I was going to do anything. But, oh, you know what? I should probably have a dinner. So I'm having a dinner. Um, some interesting things go through your mind when you're turning 40. I'll write about it in the in the mail out I do this week. So ch- jump online, osherginsberg.com. Subscribe to the uh, subscribe to the newsletter and, uh, and I'll write something in there. Uh, if not this week, definitely next week. So um, thank you so much for being here. Without you, I do not make this show. If the downloads weren't there, I wouldn't do it. But the downloads are there and how and you just make my day. So thank you from the bottom of my heart for being a vital part of this enormously satisfying part of my career. I love making this show for you and I love the feedback you give me and I'll keep making it if you keep listening. So until next week, sleep well and dream of beautiful things, my friends. Bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.